Well, tonight we have a special treat in God's Word, a passage that, in my mind, is on par with David and Goliath. And uh, that's appropriate because it's this weekend and a lot of folks are out picnicking and having a wonderful evening and here you are, you're in church. And uh, what are we, what, is church going to be boring tonight? Well, even just reading this text isn't going to be boring. I can't promise about the sermon. But 1 Kings chapter 18, showdown at Mount Carmel, showdown at Mount Carmel with, with Elijah the Tishbite. What a name again. That's great. And um, showdown between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Baal, the current fad God of Israel. Uh, In the bulletin, I had listed that I would read through, uh, we'd study tonight through verse 19, but the more I thought about it, we we need to go all the way to verse 40, because you just can't, you can't start and not finish. 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly And it happened that when Jezebel was cutting down the prophets of Yahweh, Obadiah took 100 prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and sustained them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to cut down some of the cattle." So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now it happened that as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? And he said to him, It is I. Go, say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. And Obadiah said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And if they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. And it will be that when I leave you, the spirit of Yahweh will carry you where I do not know. And I will come and tell Ahab and will not find you and he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. Has it not been told, my master, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of Yahweh? That I hid 100 prophets of Yahweh by fifties in a cave and sustained them with bread and water? So now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. And Elijah said, as Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? 
And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh and you have followed the Baals. So now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you be limping between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but place no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and put it on the wood and I will not place fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire He is God. And all the people answered and said, That is a good word. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but place no fire under it. And they took the ox which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made. Now it happened at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or relieving himself, or is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and gashed themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Now it happened when noon had passed that they had prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh which had been pulled down. Then Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Now it happened at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice 
that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your slave and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw it and fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we're moved by the text. We pray now that as we reflect on it together for a few moments, that we might know you. And in a very real sense that we might go out from here tonight in our hearts saying afresh, Yahweh is God, Jesus is Lord. In his name we pray, amen. Well, as we come to chapter 18, I want to remind you that there has been no rain now for three years. And that is not just a bad weather pattern. Uh, That is not just uh, an unfortunate change in the stream of air flowing over the area of Israel. It is at the word of the Lord. It is back to chapter 17, verse 1, we need to look. And there, out of nowhere, this man named Elijah the Tishbite, who was a prophet of the Lord, who is sent to give a message and says, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And sure enough, there was neither dew nor rain. And when there is no dew or rain, we're even learning a little bit here where we live that things tend to dry up, dirt, things tend to get a little dusty, and when people are hot and when they're thirsty, they get cranky. And one who got cranky in particular was named Jezebel. She was not happy. She was Mrs. Ahab. She was a Baal worshiper like her father and her grandfather before her. And we have learned that Ahab, the king of Israel, at least the ten tribes in the north, had married her and was happy to be a Baal worshiper. And she figured that if she couldn't call upon Baal to fix the situation, at least she could cut off the messengers of Yahweh. And so it's very disturbing that we learn in chapter 18 that Jezebel had had cut down many of the prophets, the true prophets of the Lord, of Yahweh, like cattle. Did you notice that? Verse 4, it happened when Jezebel was cutting down the prophets of Yahweh, just slaughtering them. And notice that 
Ahab says to Obadiah, it may be that, verse 5, we do not have to cut down some of the cattle. Jezebel thought of preachers of God, of the true God, as nothing more than meat, and she hated them. Now, I do want to take a moment and help us understand what's the deal with the Baals and the Asherah. We, from this vantage point, look back and we think, you know, who would set up a little idol uh, in, their, in their household or have some pole out in the woods that they go worship and dance around? Well, actually, in our culture, increasingly, as we have witchcraft and all that kind of thing happening, uh, there's probably more of that happening than, than in the past. But still, the Baals and the Asher are a little foreign to us. And you need to understand that Baal was the fertility of God. He was the one who was thought to give lightning and rain. He was a god of power. But primarily, he was the god of fertility. He was the one who every season gave, uh, he's the one who gave the rains and gave the crop and so gave you food. And, and Dale Ralph Davis points out in his commentary that if you're a poor Canaanite or Israelite farmer, there's an appeal there. It seems rather pragmatic. If I worship Baal, my life will be better and my crops will be more abundant. And bonus, Baal is not restrictive. In fact, actually, you can go into one of his uh, cult centers and and in your worship of Baal can involve uh, prostitutes and, and so forth. Everyone has a good time. Baal and Asherah, uh, who is the female counterpart, have a great appeal, uh, as Dale Ralph Davis says, to the glands. Uh, just pure, natural, hedonistic. It works. It'll work and be practical for your crops. And it works for your impulses and your lusts. I mean, it, it really sells. Sex sells, as they say. And that's true even back with Baal and Asherah. It's nothing new in our day. Immorality sells. And it's sold then. And bonus, you could call upon Baal and Asherah and maybe they'd help you out with your bottom line. So the issue is now, Baal, supposedly the god of fertility, the god of the rains, three years have gone now, and the farmers have seen their fields absolutely torched. No rain, no dew means no planting, no, no seed, no hay. And we see here that things get so desperate that King Ahab says to his, his lead servant, Obadiah, hey, um, we better go and look for the springs and uh, see if there's any meager hay so at least we can keep a few horses and mules alive. That's how desperate it gets. So Ahab goes one way, verse 6, Obadiah goes another. And what we've learned in the background is that Obadiah, who is Ahab's servant, is a faithful man. And this is a good lesson for us tonight. To, in these days of evil, and we feel like we're living in the days of Ahab and Jezebel. And, and I say that, and that's not, an over, that's not an overstatement. It's like these days we're living in. And I, I appreciate that so far uh, we don't have a leader who's seeking to cut down literally physically preachers of the gospel. But you and I both know that with the rage out there right now, uh, it wouldn't take much to go in that direction. And so Obadiah, Jezebel, has been seeking to cut if she can't get Baal to answer her if Baal's not going to help out well maybe at least she can 
she can literally exterminate the prophets of Yahweh and maybe the rains will come back. So Obadiah, who's the servant of Ahab, knows of this and we learn that he hasn't told anybody, but he actually feared and loved Yahweh, the true God of Israel, from his boyhood. He fears God and he knows if I carry out Jezebel's orders to lay my hands on Yahweh's prophets, uh, things will not go well with me. So he takes a hundred of the true prophets of God and hides them in various caves. And while they are hid out of his own resources, his own checkbook sustains these prophets And later when he tells Elijah this, don't think that he's thumping himself on the chest. There's no indication here that Obadiah is arrogant or proud. He's just, he's just trying to help Elijah know, hey, I'm on your side. And it's a reminder to us tonight. And here's what I want to point out at this juncture is that God has faithful men and women, sometimes even in fearful places. God has faithful men and women in fearful places. He can have Faithful men and women in places we could never imagine, who he uses behind the scenes to advance his purposes and to protect his people. Who would think that the Lord would have a faithful man in the very household of Jezebel? And that he does, and that's Obadiah. Well, Obadiah is going along, and all of a sudden, uh, they've been looking for Elijah for three years because Jezebel wants him out, and Ahab just can't, you know, put up with it anymore. Jezebel's constantly telling him, I want you to find Elijah the Tishbite. I want his head on a platter. And so uh, they've been looking for him for three years, Obadiah testifies, and suddenly Elijah just appears in front of him. And <laughs> you, you get it, uh, Obadiah fears for his life. And again, we can't say coward. Um, he, he's actually being just telling the truth. <laughs> Elijah, you want me to just casually go tell my boss that I just happened to run into you when we've been looking for you in every single nation for three years, threatening them if they don't give you up, we'll annihilate them? Sure. Because I know what's going to happen, Elijah. And it's interesting, a little as an aside, in verse 12, a reference to the spirit of Yahweh. Obadiah knows a little bit of his Trinitarian theology. I'm not saying it's fully developed, but I'm saying, interesting, that he at least understands that there is Yahweh and the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord. But Elijah promises him, no, I'm not going anywhere. So Obadiah goes and tells Ahab, and Ahab comes, verse 17, and greets him with scorn. He hates Elijah because Elijah is the reason Ahab thinks for his troubles, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? That's how people sometimes think of preachers. When they preach the gospel and they preach the word of God unapologetically, they're just, they're just troublers. They're causing, they're being offensive. They're the ones who are stirring things up. Well, if in this culture, especially if, if we're not making people uncomfortable, then we're not being faithful. Yeah, this morning, I, I know it was a difficult message, um, but it just needs to be said, uh, the time and day that we're in. The word of God is not unclear. And I know that there wasn't a lot of tension in this room, but imagine if I shared that message in more of a public venue. Boy, I don't think I would have gotten far through the message. So these are days in which 
a true prophet is considered as a troubler. And Elijah states the truth. The problem is not with the preacher. The problem is with Ahab and Jezebel and the people. It's not just It's not just Ahab, though he is the one who's leading the people. But here's the problem, verse 18. You have followed the Baals. You have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh, and you have followed the Baals. And again, it's a very convenient religion. It works. It's popular. Everybody loves the Baals and the Asherah. And yet... It is idolatry, and the penalty for idolatry is death. Look back with me for a moment. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. Deuteronomy chapter 13. God had given very serious instructions for what should happen if within Israel a prophet should rise up who tells people to follow other gods. Of course, God had been pretty clear in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And they had the Baals and the Asherahs in Ahab and Jezebel's day. But then in Deuteronomy 13, God says, if a prophet or dreamer or dreams of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or wonder, and says, verse 2, let us walk after other gods and let us serve them, you shall not listen. Verse 4, you shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Yahweh your God. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Idolatry is rebellion. It's what Elijah points out to Ahab, it's Ahab and Jezebel who have troubled Israel. And so Elijah makes an appointment with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he makes it at Mount Carmel. Now this is significant. This is in the north. This is on the coast. This is this prominent mountain jutting out into the Mediterranean Sea. And it is, through archaeology, we know that it is a site where Baal was worshipped even before this time. It is a prominent place where it was thought that was Baal's kind of hometown, Dale Ralph Davis points out. So essentially, Elijah is saying, you know what, Um, Yahweh, the true God of Israel, would like an appointment with Baal at his house on his property, on his turf. And the way it worked in ancient times was people thought that deities had certain localities, or at the very least that certain geographical areas were were kind of their turf, you know, kind of like biker gangs or so forth, something like that. You know, this is is kind of the place where, where, or mafia, this is where their power is, where their sway is. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true God, says, I'm going to come and I'd like an appointment with your, your Baal and your Asherahs and the prophets of Baal and Asherahs at, at the place where they are worshipped, meeting at Mount Carmel. And notice verse 19, this, this phrase, these 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
The devil always makes it comfortable for false prophets. It's always not much uh, intentional, I mean, on the front end, not much discomfort. Uh, It's incredible to me how many still false pastors and preachers, and I mean, they stand for nothing. I mean, they, they don't preach the word, they don't preach Christ, they don't preach the gospel, and yet they still have this job, they still get paid, the people still, and, and it's still lucrative and it works out. Nobody really believes the stuff, but they just go through the motions, they're like a witch doctor. And so many of the pastors, so-called in New England and New Hampshire, are in that category, and it's just like eating at Jezebel's table, benefiting from false religion and so it's a pretty unseemly thing it seems to be profitable on the front end notice there's 450 prophets of Baal 400 prophets of Asherah their ranks have swelled and apart from the prophets that have been hidden from Obadiah Elijah essentially says I alone am and left I alone am left so let's get to the Mount Carmel scene in verse 20 and following. So Ahab agrees to this. Sounds good to him. And he calls all Israel and they gather their prophets together at Mount Carmel. And there Elijah, alone by himself as the prophet of the Lord, comes near to the people. And here is the issue in the text. Verse 21. And here is the question that the text is asking of each one of us tonight. Man, woman, boy, girl. How long will you be limping between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And if you're thinking, well, I don't follow Baal, we'll put whatever else you tend to, we tend to worship. It tends to have our loyalty. You could put there, if Jesus is Lord, follow him. If whatever else is Lord, follow him, follow her. And it is more difficult these days because we don't tend to think about idols or gods or goddesses. But we can truly have other things in our life that we give our heart, soul, mind, and strength to, our loyalty to. We serve every bit as much as as these ancient Israelites served Baal. And, and notice that God is not good with that. That's one of the things about this text. It's, it is disturbing. This is so offensive. Because again, and it's, it's a tragedy in our area. Most people don't know a thing about the Bible, don't know a thing about Christ, but those who have even some remote concept of biblical theology there are so many pastors and preachers that, who will tell them that, you know, basically you can have your Christless life, do your own thing, and it will work out in the end. You can, you can have it all. And God, the God of the Bible, that, that's a made-up God. That's a made-up Christ. The God of the Bible calls for decision. This is the key. God demands a decision. Stop limping. You get the idea, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, that's how I am at restaurants. I I never know. I I never know. I always have two or three options, 
And usually to help me, I always ask the waitress or the waiter, if you were in my shoes, what would you pick? And that's okay if you're choosing between a burger or a fish sandwich. That, that's fine. But when it comes, I don't know, the, the world, uh, you know, it's kind of got an appeal. It's comfortable. I enjoy it. Well, but I know the God of the Bible. I think he's true. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. And God calls for a decision Quit limping between two decisions and decide who is God because he's not comfortable sharing. He is a jealous God. And this is a message that we need to not only examine ourselves, but in as we seek to disciple people, we need to help them understand this. Oh, God is so loving. God is so kind. Let's be clear. None of us would have decided to follow Jesus, who are followers of Christ, if God hadn't in his mercy and kindness first called us and made us to know him and died for us. So, so it's all of grace, but his grace calls for a decision. And in our discipleship, we must let men and women know you have a decision to make and know you cannot have the world in Jesus too. You can't. He won't share. He is Lord and there is no other. He will not be one of your gods. He alone is God. And so it's time for decision. The Israel shows up and they come and Elijah comes for a decision. But verse Tragically, verse 20, the people don't answer him. Isn't that the way it is? You know, we just think that by mm, being indecisive that we can still be safe, that, that we, can, we can just kind of stay in this in-between zone. And so God is going to force the issue through his prophet, through, through Elijah. So God sets up a, a, a situation in which it's going to be really clear and those who follow the Lord God, are, it's going to be clear. And those who want to follow the Baals, is going to be clear. So I don't need to go through all the scene. You, you get the picture. I mean, the, the prophet of Yahweh is outnumbered. 850, well, 450 men and probably the 400 uh, prophetesses of Asherah are there doing their thing. I mean, outnumbered nearly a thousand to one. Uh, it's on Baal's and Asherah's turf. And God, Elijah says, hey, all right, let's take two oxen. Let's build an equal pile of wood. Let's put the, cut the oxen up, put them on it. And, um, and, and you call on Baal. And after all, I mean, Baal is the god of lightning. I mean, have you ever seen something start by fire, by lightning? I mean, I haven't seen it, but we know that that happens. And so, after, I mean, it shouldn't be an issue. You just send a bolt from heaven, fire, lightning, and boom, it's going to go up. And, and it shouldn't be a problem for Baal. And so the prophets of Baal, uh, after Elijah sets the terms of the showdown, he says, verse 24, you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, that's a good word. <laughs> they can't decide up front who Yah, who's, who's the real Lord, but they like this idea. And it's going to be literally the true God's going to be proven by fire. So Elijah and his kindness, and, and there, is a, there is a divine holy scheme here, allows the prophets of Baal to go first. 
And he lets them pick the right ox. You know, I mean, it's got to be easier to pick an ox who maybe is a little easier to burn. Uh, don't want any excuses. So he, they can pick which ox they want, and they get to go first. Um, uh, they won't have to wait very long. They, they can go first. And, of course, they're not allowed to place any fire on it, under it. So, I mean, they start in the morning. They, they throw this beat on this fire, and uh, rather on the wood. There is no fire. And they start doing their their dances, and they start calling upon Baal. And I mean, they're going on and on. Verse 26, but there was no voice and no one answered. Let me ask you this. Has your idol, whatever it is, or my idol, whatever we trust in or worship other than God or Christ, has that idol ever answered you when you've called? Answer, no. Demanded your service, demanded your time, demanded your loyalty, your affections. But when you called on that idol for help, never answered you one time because that is no God. No voice, no one answered. That because, that's because Baal is no God. He's a sham. It's a false God. They limped about the altar, which they'd made. You know, they're, they're, they're making a real show of it. They're getting hot, thirsty, and, and later on, they start cutting themselves, you know, just, just in case a little fervency will wake Baal up. And verse 27, maybe some of you were disturbed. I'm reading here from the Legacy Standard Version, which is basically the New American Standard, uh, just using the Hebrew name Yahweh, but also sticking a little closer to the Hebrew text. And verse 27, make no mistake, God through Elijah, is mocking Baal and the prophets of Baal. Basically, God is saying, is Baal in the loo, as the Brits say? He's occupied. And that is what the text says in Hebrew. Oh, he must (laughs) call out with a loud voice. Maybe he's asleep, Elijah's indicating, inferring. Or maybe he's occupied. He's in the, he's, you know, he's, he's in the toilet. He's in the loo. Or he's away on a journey. He's asleep, needs to be awakened. Mocking. And again, here's a reinforcement that we must make a decision. And it may be um, politically incorrect, but God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ will again not share and mocks our idols. He does not say, oh, that's great. That's, that works for you. That's good. Oh, that's really important. That's nice. Does that build up your self-esteem? He mocks your idol and mine and the idols of this world. If we have any other idols before, gods before God. He's, he mocks the god of, and goddesses of the LGBTQI plus dot, 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 dot movement. Mocks them. Not friendly. And that was what my sermon was about this morning, if you're here tonight only. He's not on friendly terms. He's not interested in having a panel discussion. Is this our God? Is this your God? Is this your Christ? This is. This is the God of the Bible. I love it. What a God is our God. Well, Baal doesn't answer. So they keep going with a louder voice and they start cutting themselves, maybe blood. And you see that in cultures around the world. If you start maiming yourself, maybe your God will hear you. And it happened when noon had passed. Noon goes by, 
that goes by, and now but then it's late out after the evening, late in the afternoon rather, and no voice, verse 29, no one answered, no one paid attention, because Baal is no one. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near. Think about it, 450 prophets of Baal, all bloodied, a mess, exhausted, voices, can't even speak. And, and they've been going at it all day. And I mean, 450, that's a, that's a lot of guys. That's quite a scene. And Elijah's able to lift his voice and the people of Israel are still around waiting. I mean, they, they, there's, there's been talk going back and forth. There's, if there were a, a, a TV, you know, a newscast, they would be their reporter at the, at the showdown at Mount Carmel. And Elijah says to the people, come near. And the people of Israel start pushing aside the, the, these bozos, these, these bozo Baal prophets who have bloodied themselves because it's obvious that Baal's not doing anything. So that show's over. Let's see now what about the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Elijah. So here in this pagan shrine, Elijah takes 12 stones. Now that's very interesting why? Because at this point in Israel's history, the ten tribes in the north have separated from the two tribes in the south. You have the kingdom of Judah and you have the kingdom of Israel. But in God's heart and God's mind, it's still one nation of twelve tribes and his will prevails. The sin of mankind, whether it be Solomon's son or anyone else, does not undo the will of God. Twelve tribes, twelve stones for the twelve tribes. And he's assembling, verse 32, an altar in the name of Yahweh. This is going to be a time of worship. And, of course, then on the stones he builds in the name of Yahweh. He makes a trench, and he just drenches this thing, just drenches it. Now, if you've ever tried to start a fire with wet wood, you can sympathize here. I mean, you say you can you can watch all the YouTube channels you want about how to do it. If everything of your material is wet, good luck. Not happening. Not if you have a little match, at least. It's not going to light. Um, our family enjoyed some time ago watching this 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 kind of special, this challenge in which uh, these men who wanted to do this uh, was a challenge who could survive the longest out in the woods alone with a, just a minimal amount of material. But the place where they had to survive was on this remote spot of Vancouver Island that receives one of the heaviest amounts of rainfall in the world. And one of the things in the, in the special, in the TV series, it was watching, you know, who's going who's gonna to make it the longest. The biggest challenge for these guys who were experienced outdoorsmen, you wouldn't believe they could not even start a fire. And they even had, you know, a flint because everything, all the material was wet. It just doesn't start. You can't start a fire with wet wood. And so this, is, this isn't a little water either. This isn't like a spray. <laughs> this, is, this is gallons and gallons of gallons just absolutely soaking the wood, soaking the meat, soaking the stones, and actually pooled around the base of the altar. The water, verse 35, flowed around the altar and filled the trench. I mean, nothing's going to light there. 
I mean, you might as well go put a match onto the Atlantic Ocean and expect that's going to light up. And so in the evening, in the afternoon, late afternoon, Elijah comes near and he prays. And notice that Elijah has no power in himself. He is, as he testifies, a slave, a servant of the Lord. He has been sent by God. This wasn't his mission. He was sent by God. He is a servant, a prophet of God. And he calls upon God to make it clear, verse 36, that you are God in Israel. I am your slave. I've done these things according to your word. Answer me, verse 37, answer me, O Yahweh, that this people may know you, O Yahweh, are God, and you have turned their heart back again. You see the heart of the prophet. He hates, Elijah hates the false prophets, but his heart still longs for the people, that they would know the true God. And so after he prays in verse 37, imagine It's late afternoon up on this bluff overlooking the Mediterranean. There's blood all over the ground from these false prophets who are gashing themselves. You've been waiting there all day in the hot sun wondering to see what would happen. It hasn't rained for three years, but here is this sopping mess of an altar. And then all of a sudden, after this prayer from this one man comes this ball of fire from heaven and it comes down and it consumes the meat of an ox. Now, an ox isn't small. We're not talking about a burger. The ox, it consumes the wood. It consumes the stones that the altar is made of. It consumes the dust, the dirt on which the altar is built and licks up the water that's in the trench. This is our God. And remember in Hebrews when it says, our God is a consuming fire. When the sons of Aaron offered up strange fire. They were consumed, burned by the Lord. God is a jealous God, and fire comes down. And the response of the people is what anyone would do. You just fall down on your face. And where there once was indecision and limping between two opinions, there suddenly is great clarity Notice they say it not once, but twice. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. They are pleading for their lives so that the same fire doesn't come down and consume them because of their idolatry. God does not consume them. He is a God of grace. He loves his people. He's calling them to himself, to loyalty. They confess that there is only one God, and he is Yahweh, the God of Israel. It's a moment of clarity. Sometimes maybe some of us think, well, if I saw a fire coming down out of heaven, maybe I would have such clarity. 
we haven't had fire. We've had the very Son of God come. Live, die, rise from the dead. Don't look for fire. He's already sent his Son. The decision is to be made. He is, Yahweh is God. And he is as God the judge. And so in verse 40, again, in our modern times, we think, wow, that's so extreme. And Dale Ralph Davis points out that's because we're so comfortable with apostasy and idolatry. We really don't think it's that bad. We're not necessarily convinced that God really is that good, is really that glorious, that he is that jealous, and that sin is that sinful. But God had said, notice in Deuteronomy 13, verse 5, this is exactly what was to happen. If anyone preaches another God and says, go after him, in Israel at that time, the judgment was capital punishment. And of course, that's not the case today in the church. We don't have that authority or that command. But it is that serious my heart is broken as even recently I learn of different situations and it's astounding how there can be a, a so-called pastor, a so-called preacher who does not preach the word of God or who preaches, and I'm, I mean a false gospel, and the people in the church are kind of, you know, well, I don't know. Cast them out. If I ever preach anything other than the word or the gospel, you cast me out now we want to be nice you tell me how nice I know you tell me but and I'm looking at my friends and family here tonight but come on I want to put a little steel in your in your spine how nice is it to lead people away from Christ nothing nice about it doesn't matter how seemingly kind the man is doesn't mean seem and matter how many good things he's done. If he leads you and your children and your grandchildren away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, he might as well be an emissary of Satan himself. So the judgment is severe for these false prophets. And it will be for all false prophets, false teachers. So we come back to tonight. The decision is for each one of us. Who is God? Who is Lord? And I'm here tonight looking at you, and I believe that most of you here tonight have truly made a decision that the God of the Bible is the true God of the only God, and that his Son is your Lord. But it's good for us tonight to be knocked down on our faces a little bit by this text, and in our hearts to afresh say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it is good for us tonight to be reminded of how great our God is. He's no cream puff. He is not what the time want him to be, some kind of go along with the crowd, everything. He is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let's worship him and worship him alone. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word and your servant Elijah, and we only pray now that you will find in our hearts a new loyalty to you. And we know that it is by grace. 
And so we pray, may your grace work in our hearts and give us clarity, and may there not be any limping between two opinions in our hearts, but may our lives and our words and all that we are testify that you are our God, that you, Lord Jesus, are our Lord, and we are your slaves. May we be owned by you and worship you and trust you, even in these evil days. Protect us, we pray, from false teaching and keep them far from us. And we pray now in just a moment as we'll come to the Lord's table that that this be a precious time of us remembering your covenant loyalty to us, how kind you were to your people of Israel to, to send down fire and to remind them that you are God and how kind you've been now to send your son. We ask your blessing on the remainder of this service now in his name. Amen.